All right, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to be reading verses 12 through 28. 12 through 28. We're going to be talking about uh, the resurrection of the dead. And we're going to be talking about a little bit of logic. And uh, Paul's going to give us some if-then statements. And we're going to work through that. Uh, So I'm going to read this passage, and then I will pray, and we will start going into it. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet, But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here to learn about your word. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding. Help us to understand the implications of of different doctrines, specifically, Father, whether or not Jesus has risen from the dead. Father, this is an important doctrine, and so, Father, I pray that you would help us to appreciate it, to understand it, to know it, to love it, uh, and and to believe it. We love you, Father. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so... Back at the beginning, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So again, uh, we need to remember that Paul is writing to a church, he's addressing issues, and so here we have the hint at what the issue is that he's about to address, and it is that some are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. All right, they're not necessarily saying that, there's no res- that Jesus was not resurrected, but they're saying there is no resurrection of the dead. This is something that we believe happens at the end when Christ returns. 
My laptop's being laggy. When Christ returns, we believe that all people, both good and evil, will be risen from the dead, and that Christ will judge those people. Some will go to an ever, everlasting life, and some will go to an eternal death and, and hell and, and punishment. Um, and specifically, when we talk about the resurrection of the dead, we're, we're talking about the resurrection of those who trust in Christ and are going to be with Him and have eternal life, that our bodies are going to be made new, that they're going to be maybe different uh, than the bodies that we have now, but we're going to have bodies, our spirits and our bodies are going to be joined together again. And this is a doctrine that many people have scoffed at. You guys know what scoffing means? It means just laugh and say, that's, that's silly. How could you say that the dead are going to rise? When people are dead, they're dead. Uh, that's what that's the main thing that that a lot of people believe today. You know, there are, there are many atheists there uh, in the world today that believe when you die you go into nothingness. You you have no spirit. You have no soul. When you die, that's it. You have one life on this physical world, and that's it. All right. And so even in the church, there were some in Corinth who were saying that that there is no resurrection. Of the dead. And so, what Paul's going to say is, you don't even understand the implications of what you're saying. You don't understand what, it, what implications it has for the gospel when, you, when you're saying these things. And so, he's saying, if, if some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead, so here he's going to go on and make some if then statements. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, right? And so there's the key point that he's going to be hitting on this whole time is the resurrection of Christ. And he's going to be using this as a proof that these guys, the ones who say there is no resurrection of the dead, are just flat out wrong, okay? They have no reason to scoff at the resurrection of the dead because the whole gospel is based on the resurrection of at least one person from the dead, our Savior, that he was something special Something very unique happened when Christ was on the earth. Something very unique happened when he died. And something very unique happened when he, contrary to all other you know, natural phenomenon, he rose from the dead. This is why we have a whole holiday where we celebrate this fact. Right? And there are two main holidays in, in uh, Christianity. That's Christmas and Easter. And there's two miracles that we're celebrating. One, that God would take on flesh at all. And then two, that God would die in that flesh and then raise from the dead to prove that he was God. So we don't always think of the resurrection as a, a critical point. We think of the incarnation. We're like, oh, that was really important. And we think of Jesus dying for our sins. And that was the, that was the important thing. But the resurrection is crucial. Without the resurrection, our faith falls apart, as Paul is going to show us. Okay, so he says... If Christ has not been raised, then two things. Our preaching is in vain. So he's talking about his own preaching, the gospel that he's been preaching. His preaching is in vain. And your faith, talking to the Corinthians, but also ours, our faith is in vain. Now that, that word vain means that it's fruitless, it's pointless. There is no reason to do it. There's no reason for Paul to spend his whole life preaching the gospel, to spend his life traveling all over Asia, traveling all over uh Europe, traveling, preaching the gospel, experiencing hardship, uh, being beaten, being stoned, being cast out of city after city. There was no point to it all. He was doing it all and it was all fruitless uh, if Christ has not been raised. 
And then also, all of the people who come to believe the preaching, it's also fruitless. It'd be, why, there would be no point for you to be a Christian if Christ had not been raised from the dead. Okay? So, he says, Moreover, we, talking about the people who are preaching the gospel, we are found to be false witnesses of God. We're, we're, we're lying about God when we say that He rose Jesus from the dead. Because we said, hey, God raised Christ from the dead, but... If the dead are not raised, then God did not raise Christ, and we've been lying about what God is doing. All right? He says, if the dead are not raised, he's making this argument again, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. So this is, again, really interesting, because we typically just think of the cross as the time when our sins were paid for. And I'm letting you know, yes, that the cross is crucial to your sins being paid for, but the resurrection is the bookend of Jesus' propitiation. His work on the cross is bookended by His rising from the dead. If Jesus had just died on the cross and stayed dead, what that would have been is a sign for us that He was just a man. Because when men die, they stay dead. Right? right? That's, that's what we experience. Okay? But when Christ died, the, death could, the, the grave could not hold Him. Okay? And so, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, He's proving to the world that not only did He die, but He beat death. Scripture tells us that he destroyed death by the power of death. There's a, there's a Jonathan Edwards quote where there, he says there's like a monster and Jesus let the monster swallow him. And, and as the monster swallowed him, he poisoned the monster from the inside and the monster threw him up into glory. All right? So it's a pretty interesting picture there. All right? And so... What we have is we have Christ using, and we see this all throughout Scripture. I think the, the, a big one, if you guys went to Snowbird, uh, and, we, and when they walked through the story of Joseph, I think the, the, B, the big crucial verse is what, what Joseph says to his brothers at the very end, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so we go all the way back to Genesis, and we see Adam and Eve eat the, the tree, and they bring death into the world. And Satan brought that about. But we see God's sovereignty on display where what Satan meant for evil, for our evil, that death would be a prevalent thing in our society, in our lives, in our world. The world is all, it's just falling apart. What, what that was meant for evil, God's going to use it for good. And it's by death that Christ is victorious. By the very thing that was the curse... God used to be the blessing. Okay? So, if the resurrection did not happen, then your faith is worthless because Jesus died for your sins, but turns out He was just a human and you're still in your sins. He didn't pay for your sins. He died for His own sins, as, as any man could do. You know, if, if you die without Christ, you die for your own sins. You're going to pay for your own sins. You're going to go to hell, and that's how you will pay for your sins. All right, and he says, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. I'm going to pause and I'm going to go back through those verses and I want to teach you guys a little bit of logic. Logic is really important. Uh, logic is the formal study of truth and its propositions and how it relates to reality. Okay, And that's what we are in. We're in reality. We're not in a, a, a VR game. We're not in... Uh, we're not in like the metaverse. We're in the real universe that God made. And so everything that we think about and do has implications in reality. Okay, so logic is very important. Uh, God gave you a brain and he expects you to use it. And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you guys as a teacher that I know that a lot of you guys don't know how to think and you need to be taught uh, you need to be, everyone has to be taught how to think. So has anyone taken a logic course? Raise your hand if you've taken a logic course or are taking one currently. All right, so only maybe half of you, hopefully more of you will take one. You know, uh, I think it's, is it seventh grade that it starts for Headwaters? Logic, you guys are taking logic? Yeah. Wonderful, you need it. All right, so logic is very important. All right, and so what I'm going to teach you right here, it's, it's a conditional statement. This is one of the most basic forms of logic. It's if this is true, then this is true, right? So if gravity is true and I drop this marker, you guys finish it. What's going to happen? It's going to fall. We all just used logic, all right? We thought, all right? We used what we know about reality. Everything that we've seen in the world, we understand, we've, we've, we've seen it, and I can give you a condition, and you automatically, without even trying, a lot of you just finish. If I drop this, if I let go of it, it's going to fall, all right? That's, that's logic, okay? So what Paul is saying, uh, there's, a, there's a formula, it's P, then Q, you don't have to remember that, but uh, if P is true, then Q is true. That's the formula for this conditional statement, uh, there are formulas in logic. Math is actually logic. It's called uh, pure logic. So if you do math, you're learning logic a little bit. Okay, so uh, you can think of truth statements as formulas. So the formula is if P is true, then Q is true. Okay, so here, here's the statement. If the dead are not raised. Okay, so here's the condition. If, and it's always started with an if. If the dead are not raised, and so here's a, we'll call it a proposition. Here's another term for you. It's a statement of which truth can be measured. If the dead are not raised. So, are the dead raised? Do you guys know? Are the dead raised? Do, do, dead pe do, do people get risen from the dead ever? Not like all the time because we don't see that happening, but will they be raised? Yes. Is the resurrection of the dead a doctrine that we believe? Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, He's doing a condition. He's saying a what if thing, right? And kids, kids love to do this. You know, what if, you know, what if we hadn't eaten the fruit? That's a, that's a big thing that, that kids ask. As soon as they hear about the Garden of Eden, they're like, well, what if Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit? And it's like, well, yes, there will be very different. You know, there's so many things to think about. It's, it's interesting to think about. Okay, so here's the condition. If the dead are not raised, then what is true? If the dead are not raised... Here's what Paul is saying. Then Christ has not been raised. Right. Okay, so he's, he's getting straight to the heart of the argument. They think there's no resurrection of the dead. They think it's a silly doctrine. They don't want to hold to it. And he's saying, hey, if you don't hold to this doctrine, 
then, you know, then Christ isn't raised. Then, then a bigger doctrine that you may want to hold to, you can't really hold to it logically. Okay? So if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And he's following this chain here. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. Oh, that looks bad. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Okay? And then he's going to go into, uh, into it one at a time. He's going to talk about the preaching. All right? If Christ has not been raised and we have preached that God raised Christ from the grave, all right? and they have, that is what Paul has been preaching over and over and over again. That's the main gospel message. That's, that's the part that, if you're actually a Christian, it gets you very excited when, when, people, when we sing songs and it's like you get to the point where Jesus rises from the grave and you're like, you get really excited. That's the, that's the good part of the gospel. That's the, the climax of the story is that's Jesus beating up the bad guy. He's, he's giving it to him right there. That's the, that's the part that you wait for in the story. The good guy to win. Okay, so And that's the part that Paul has preached. He's been preaching that God has raised Christ from the grave. Amen. But if... That is not true. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised, and all the preaching that we've been doing has been lies. It's all been a lie. He's telling them, hey, Corinthian church, if you're going to hold to this doctrine, don't hold to any of it. It's all a lie. And a lot of people need to think about the implications of, there, there are minor doctrines and there are major doctrines, but there are things that you might think you hold to and you don't realize how important it is. It might seem simple to you. Things like the virgin birth. You might say, oh yeah, Jesus is born of a virgin. Oh, oh, whatever. No, this is a major doctrine. It has huge implications. When we talk about Jesus being born of a virgin, we're saying, hey, he does not have the sin nature. He has a human nature, but he was unstained from sin. And if Jesus was stained from sin, then he couldn't die for your sins. He could only die for his own. Right? So the, the virgin birth, crucial. Jesus dying on the cross, crucial. Jesus rising from the dead, crucial. Right? If, if Christ has not been raised, then specifically to us, he's going into the faith part of that conditional statement. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is worthless because you believed in a lie. You're still in your sins because no one paid for them. All right, and the last conditional statement, this is the one that people love to remember, and it's, it's really important. All right, he says, If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's the if-then statement. If our hope in Christ dies with us, that's what he's saying. If you've hoped in Christ all your life, you've grown up a Christian, you've gone to church, you got baptized, you made the confession, you know, if you go to a certain church, you, you did uh, Awanas, or you did, uh, what do the Methodists have? Confirmation. You went to confirmation. Uh, you did all the things. You grew up. You, you served in the church. You went on a mission trip, right? You, you gave up all these things for the sake of Christ, and then you die, but the dead are not raised. What was the point? You did all those things, but Christ did not die for your sins. What was the point? You made yourself feel good? That's a lot of people's religion, is they make themselves feel good. 
the big thing about Christianity, and you guys hear me, if you get nothing else from the sermon, get this. The big thing about Christianity, people talk about all the things that set Christianity apart from the world, and there are a lot of things. Here's the big thing. It's true. That's it. It's true. It doesn't matter what crazy thing people tell you. If it's true, believe it. It doesn't matter how crazy it sounds. If it's true, believe it. And the gospel is true. You have the opportunity to hear the gospel. You have the opportunity to have been raised hearing the gospel, as you guys are. And there are many people who are not raised hearing the gospel. We're going to pray for them. Right? People have never heard the gospel. And there's an argument, it's not a good one, that a lot of people believe the gospel just because that's the way they were raised. Well, praise God that's the way they were raised. I'm, I'm glad for that. But if that's the way that you hold your faith, you're in a bad place. If the reason for your faith is anything other than this is true, and that's why I believe it, your faith is in vain. It's worthless. It, it doesn't go anywhere. It's not going to help you on the last day. It really isn't. The, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of faith is, I know this to be true, and it's not like it doesn't make sense. It, there's, there's logic to it. We're going over some logic. All right? it, but the whole point is, this is true, so I believe it. If Christianity isn't true, don't believe it. And I, when I go to evangelize and, and I talk to people like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're like, you're set in your ways and I'm set in my way. We're not going to do anything. Uh, we're not going to convert each other. I tell them, no. You show me from the Bible that your religion's true, I'll believe it. I will. I really will. I'm, I, am, I, I am passionate about the truth. That's why I am where I am. I was raised Mormon. And I left it not because it seemed cool and I didn't like the Mormon church. It's because I read the Bible and I realized that Jesus was God. That's what was true. And so I believed it. And you guys all need to come to a place in your life where you need to decide if you understand that this is true. It's not a fairy tale, not something that people tell you. All right, There are, there are thousands of religions. Thousands of them. And there's new ones being made every day. Yep. Alright? The, the important thing is, which of them are true? And the world is trying to tell you right now that truth doesn't even exist. That it's all about what you feel. They'll say things like, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. You go your way, I'll go my way. You will not believe how many people really think that when Buddhists die, they will get reincarnated, and when Christians die, they'll go to heaven, and those two universes exist at the same time. They, they really believe that. I would say actually a majority of Americans believe that if you really talk to them. But that's just nonsense. We're not, we're not living in two universes. There's not a different destiny for people who are born in Muslim countries and a different destiny for people who are born in American countries, or European countries, or African countries. There's one universe. We all live in it. It's run by God, the one creator. We've sinned against him. 
He did work to rescue us from our sins, and we only are rescued from those sins by trusting in his work that he died and was risen from the dead, and that that really happened. And I said this before, one of my favorite quotes by a guy named Francis Schaeffer, the, the cross is so real that if you were there when Jesus was crucified, you could have run your finger along the cross and gotten a splinter. It's real. It was a, it was a real piece of wood that, was, that lifted up a real man who was really God, and he really died, and he really stayed dead, and he really rose from the dead, and he really ascended to heaven, and he's really coming back. It's true. It's true. And so when, when Paul says this, if our hope with Christ dies with us, if it's not true, if the, if the gospel isn't true, man, we're wasting our time. I put a lot of effort into a lot of stuff for the gospel. And, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm just saying I'm tired, you know. I'm tired for most of my life. And I'm, and I'm doing stuff that I think I'm doing to please the Lord. And if it's not true, I've just wasted my entire life for nothing. Right? Right? Make sense? And I, I want you guys to know that there are, there are thousands, millions, billions of people who are utterly convinced that their religion is true. I had been utterly convinced that Mormonism was true. And when I died, that hope was going to perish with me, and I was going to perish for eternity. There are Muslims that are utterly convinced, so convinced they're willing to kill themselves because they think it's going to get them some eternal glory. There are Buddhists who live austere lives. They beat themselves. They beat other people. Buddhism is not actually a religion of peace. I've been over there. Uh, and, and, and talked with them. It, they called them the Red Army where I, where I visited because they would be so aggressive towards people if they caught a fish, they would beat them because eating a fish is a crime because those fish are of equal value to us. All right? So there are people who are utterly convinced that what they believe is true and they're going to die someday and that hope's going to go away. They're going to see the throne and their hope is going to die with them. They have hope. I, and I'll tell you, man, so many people have hope. A lot of people think the world has no hope. No, the world has hope. But it has hope without a good reason for having hope. You know, I, I talked to, to my mom. She is so convinced, man. She's so convinced. She's right. That Mormonism is true. She's, she's got so much hope. It fill, She's... She's like, you know, tearing up because she has so much hope. But it's not true. That's why you preach the gospel. You actually have to tear hope away from people's lives sometimes. And that seems cruel to the world. They're like, why would you, why would you tear down people's faith? Because their hope is groundless. They have no reason for hope. And I want to have them to have hope with a reason some truth to this world, to the, to the world that we live in. Not a fake world, a real world. Not one of my own creation where, you know, I want to be God of my own universe or, you know, die and I become, you know, reincarnated as, you know, a, 
a richer, better looking person and on and on and on until I, you know, reach Nirvana. Like if that's true, sure. I'll believe it. Even if it sounds wacky, if it's true, I'll believe it, but it's not. There's one truth for this world and it is that God, God made it and, and we are, uh, we are in his world and we are under his wrath until we have his propitiation. And so here's, here's where Paul hits the thing right here. He says, but the fact is. You can do the conditional statements all you want. Man, it's fun to play that game and kids love to play that game. The what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. It's fun to play it for some time, but eventually you got to get out of the what ifs and into the reality. But the fact is. What's the fact? Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a doctrine that we preach. We go out into the world full of a lot of weird beliefs, and we tell them, hey, our God became a man, and he died for us, and he rose from the dead. That sounds crazy to them. But that's the fact. The fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And so that's our hope here is that not only are we saying that Jesus rose from the dead, we're saying he's just the first one. There's going to be more. And we're going to be, we're going to be in that crowd, that crowd of, of people who are also raised from the dead. All right? And that's, that's also why they use this term uh, asleep right here. My, my laptop's being really bad, but uh, right here, the first fruits of those who are asleep. There's this weird doctrine that's gone around that it's called soul sleep that people think that when Christians die, they go, their soul sleeps and it doesn't go to the presence of the Lord. And they, they see words like this and, they, and they, mis, they misunderstand what the point of it. The reason that Paul is using this word asleep is it's an idiom. It's, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. What he's saying is that when people die, they're going to get up again. That like When you go to sleep, you wake up, right? And so he's trying to create the picture of when we die, it's not this final, ultimate, that's it for them. He's trying to create the thought that just like when you see someone lay their head down to go to sleep, you expect them to wake up. When you see a Christian die and lay down in the grave, expect them to get up out of it. Right. That's, that's, what, that's the picture he's trying to leave with us. When, when your believing grandma, who you know, has raised your, your, your whole uh, family in the faith, and she finally you know, goes to be with the Lord, and, and you lay your body, her body in the grave, you can have hope that you're going to see her come out of it again. Another reason to share the gospel with your family, right? Another reason to, to share the gospel with your neighbor. Um, because for those who do not trust in Christ, well, death isn't even the end. There's something worse for them. You know, to be dead and non-existent would be a better fare than what's actually in store as an eternal punishment in hell. And everyone's destined for one or two of those places, right? And so... You have, you have to think of that, okay? So, for since by a man death came, 
by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. So the man being mentioned here, a man came death. They're talking about Adam, right? And then by another man, a very different kind of man, but still a, a man. He, he had human, a human nature. That man is Christ. And so death came into the world through a man, and God loves parallelism. He loves, if you guys don't like poems, you need to learn to love them because God loves poems. He loves beautiful word pictures. He, he loves it. He loves making beautiful things, and he loves flipping our perspective. And, he's, and he's, he's doing that with Adam and Christ. And he's saying, you know, your whole race was doomed by one man. Yeah. Your whole race. All of you. You were doomed by one man. You know what? By one man, I'm going to save them. Okay? That's, that's, that's poetic. It's parallelism. All right? And that man is Christ. That man is Christ. One specific man. Uh, that's why if you ever heard Adam, uh, Christ called the second Adam. That's, that's why. He's, he's, a new, he's the father of a new generation. All right, but each in his own order. Uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So there are some who think that this passage is saying uh, that this resurrection then and eternal life applies to everyone because it says, so also in Christ all. And there's this saying that people say, all means all, and that's all all means. Uh, it's not really true. Almost always, all has a qualifier. Uh, and in this sense, it's all who are in Christ are resurrected. He's talking to believers. When he's saying that all are raised from that, he's talking to believers. Not all, not all the world gets to go to heaven. It's just not true. So don't, don't be confused by people who would use this passage to say that. Uh, and another, another point that would prove that is this part that I've underlined here. Christ the firstfruits. He's talking about who's going to be resurrected. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ's. The ones who belong to Christ. Those are the ones who will be risen from the dead. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. So he's, he's talking about the end and you can't separate the resurrection of the dead from the end. That's, that's the main purpose is we're talking about the end coming, right? We've, we've got hope for the future. The world's going to end. And I'll tell you guys this, man, the world wants you to think that you can save the world, that you can change the world, and they're going to think that I'm being a jerk when I'm telling you you can't. You can't change the world, and you can't save the world. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to repent and believe and call others to do the same. That's it. The world's going to go away. It's going to burn. Peter says it's going to melt as it burns. It's going to be really hot as, a, as, an, as an understatement. right? You can't save the world and all the governments and all the programs and all of the movements that are like, we, we can figure out morals and we can make the world a better place and we can fix it. Right? I, I, I hate to tell you guys this, but you're the problem. Not you personally, but you're part of humanity, and humanity is the problem. It can't also be the solution. Humanity is the reason why there's death in the world, and so you're not the Savior of the world. We are preaching a Savior, Jesus Christ as the Savior. 
All right? He's the one who must reign. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. In other words, subjected was there a lot. Uh, so that God may be all in all. The point I want you guys to get from that is once Christ reigns victorious and he puts everything under his feet, he's going to come down, he's going to trample everything underfoot. He's, he's going to win. He's going to conquer. He, there's no like, uh, it's not like the you know, Avengers endgame where like, you know, you don't know how they're going to pull it off. Like, you know, they're going to win because they're the good guys, but you don't know how they're going to pull it off. And you don't know which of the good guys are going to, you know, lose their life. And, you know, Tony Stark dies. It's uh, sorry, spoilers. It's been 10 years. So, uh, but it's not like that. God's going to win easily. He's going to crush Satan underfoot. It's not going to be a close fight. All right? And so that's to say, hey, Jesus, he's over all. Easily. He's over all. And then after he comes and wins and conquers, he's going to subject himself to the Father. Uh, and this may be weird to you guys because... Because you may think, well, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is, but this is going back actually to a lot of what we've been talking about in gender roles, in hierarchical structures. There's even submission in the Trinity. And again, if, if, you, if you hate the idea of submission as a woman or you hate the idea of submission as a man, because we all submit to something, right? Women submit to their husbands. Uh, men submit to society and they submit to, to, to God, right? There's, there's a hierarchical structure even in the Trinity where Jesus, equal in nature, equal in power, equal in glory, but for the sake of, of the Father, he submits to him as a son, all right? And so this, this just goes back to us. Man, Christ is setting a good example for us in all things, in all things, uh, so don't, don't struggle against authority. Don't struggle against God. Uh, Jesus is all-powerful. He's going to crush all the enemies under his feet. He's going to raise the dead back to life, and those who have trusted in him are going to have eternal life. And so that's what's true. That's what's true. And you guys have the chance now to really do the research, to think about it, is this what I believe? Do I think this is true? And hey, if, if you don't think it's true, don't believe it. If you're really struggling, then you know, talk, talk with one of us. I'll, I'll, I've got plenty of good arguments to show you why the gospel is true. I really do, because I've searched it out. There's so many good reasons. But don't live your whole life in doubt, thinking, I don't know if this is, gonna, is, this is true, but I'm going to believe it anyways. That's not the kind of faith that Christians are called to. And anyone who would tell you that, they're lying. You, you can have a bold faith, a confident faith, and it's okay to ask questions. 
It really is. The truth is not afraid of questions. The, the, the religions that are scared of you asking questions, they're the ones that know they're not true. The, the cults, they don't let people ask questions. Because when you ask questions, everything comes undone. We're not afraid of the questions. Ask them. You can have confidence. And you can have confidence that, that Christ rose from the dead. And if you trust in Him, you will rise from the dead too. All right, I'll pray and then we'll go to small groups. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for bringing us here to learn about You and Your Word. Father, I pray that You would give us a knowledge of the truth, that we would know the truth, and that the truth would set us free. Uh, please help us, Father. We love You. I ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.